let's um, start with Mother's opening prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, Heavenly Father. Divine Mother. Divine Mother. Beloved Jesus Christ. Beloved Jesus Christ. Blessed Master. Blessed Master. Dearest Mother. Dearest Mother. Beloved David. Beloved David. Saints and sages of all religions. Saints and sages of all religions. I bow to all of you. I bow to all of you. Free my life from all obstacles. Free my life from all obstacles. And give me physical, mental, and spiritual development. And give me physical, mental, and spiritual development. Make my mind thy temple. Make my mind thy temple. Make my heart thy altar. Make my heart thy altar. <clears throat> Make my love thy home. Make my love thy home. Be thou the only king. Be thou the only king. Reigning on the throne of my consciousness. Reigning on the throne of my consciousness. Oh. Oh. Peace. Peace. Bliss. Bliss. Amen. Amen. To a short meditation.
Uh, my Bible reading this evening is uh, from John 8, beginning with uh, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And from John chapter 1, starting with verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. And I will bring the blind by way, by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Bhima sent me um, a quote uh, from Ramakrishna, and it's uh, spoken by Yogeshwara Black as one of his favorite things. It's evidently cut short. I found the original. I'm going to read it to you, and then you should hear Yogeshwara Black as he reads it. It's quite beautiful. So I'll play that after this. But it's missing these first two lines, and that's why I thought I'd read the whole thing. So this is um, this is a song being sung. I, I don't know the details. It comes from, of course, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. It's a song being sung in, for uh, Ramakrishna. Proclaim the glory of God's name as long as life remains in you. The dazzling splendor of his radiance hoods the universe. Like nectar streams his boundless love, filling the hearts of men with joy. The very thought of his compassion sends a thrill through every limb. How can one fittingly describe him? Through his abounding grace, the, the bitter sorrows of this life are forgotten instantly. On every side, on land below, in sky above, beneath the seas, in every region of this earth, men seek him tirelessly. And as they seek him, never ask, where is his limit? Where his end? True wisdom's dwelling place is he, the elixir of eternal life, the sleepless, ever wakeful eye, the pure and stainless one. The vision of his face removes all trace of sorrow from our hearts. Now listen to Yoga Shoya Black. Like nectar streams, it's boundless love, filling the hearts of men with joy. The very thought of his compassion sends a thrill through every limb. How can one fittingly describe him through his abounding grace? The bitter sorrows of this life are all forgotten 
instantly. On every side and land below and sky above beneath the seas, in every region of this earth, men seek him tirelessly. And as they seek him, ever ask, where is his limit, where is his end? Pure wisdom's dwelling place is he, the elixir of eternal life, the sleepless, ever-wakeful eye, the pure and stainless one. The vision of his face removes all trace of sorrow from our hearts. Give you a feeling for his his voice. Very nice. So somewhere in the um, in my I think late teens, early twenties, I always had a notion of three uh, years that I would would be good years for me, or be great years and important years for me. And, and the first one was 1976, which is uh, as it turns out the year I, I, I met mother. And then uh, 84, I met Swami, I mean, I met Yogesharya Black. And then the, the third year was 1996. And that's the year that I met Swamiji, Swami Satchitananda. So Yogesharya Black, um, you know, in assessing that year and thinking of what uh, was um, foreshadowed in whatever notion I had of those years, uh, he had a deep effect on me, and I think of him periodically. So, it's an interesting uh, man. So I was, I know I've told some of these stories, but I was um, at the dinner table with him. I was there for three or four days. And I was at the dinner table with him. And um, <laughs> there were a few other disciples there of his, and uh, I was just talking to someone across the table. Yogesharya Black is sitting to my right. He reminds me very much of my grandfather, both age-wise and uh, his manner. Lot, many things, uh, the way his mind worked. And my grandfather could be fairly strict sometimes too. And uh, as I was talking to someone, I, I put my elbows on the table. <laughs> and... I continue talking. Now, out of my sight, because I was looking slightly to my left across the table, uh, I, I realized Yogeshwari Black was uh, putting his elbows on the table and kind of lazing around, you know, <laughs> as though making fun of me. As though one doesn't need to put elbows on the table. So why, to support yourself, why are you doing it? So when I looked, I, I first of all noticed other people kind of laughing or you know looking at him, and I turned to him and I saw what he was doing, and and I, I took my elbows off the table right away. But we kind of laughed about it. When I had a chance to meet him privately, I uh, was sitting in his boathouse on the back end of it, and he was uh, across the room from me, a little a small room. And um, we talked a little bit about mother and oh whether the SRF was a problem or not. And he was and he definitely said, "Don't that that stuff doesn't matter at all. None of that matters. What matters is you need to pierce that uh, silver star in your forehead. You must go beyond that. You must enter through that. That's what matters." And then he uh, asked me. 
if I had a Kriya Yoga uh, initiation, I said yes. And he says, um, uh, do a breath for me, then do a, a Kriya breath. Let me watch you. And so I closed my eyes and performed a Kriya breath. He didn't say anything. He was uh, satisfied, evidently, because uh, as I walked out later, not much later, he said, uh, you, you can come tonight to the Kriya uh, practice that we have in uh, the evenings. I think it was every evening while he was on the property. And he, in those years, was uh, close to, well, he was retired and close to his last years. I think he died just a couple of years later. So many wonderful souls around Master. Amazing. I keep going back to this theme of light because, you know, when you you have a vision of someone and... um, we have a notion of, of it being brighter when you have a, a vision of, uh, of the soul, of the light that comes from the body. It, um, it is not just um, visible light. It's, there's a reception point in your third eye that you can see um, the light of the soul. And when we are encased in this body, we... We lose that, and that's what I was reading from the Bible, is how people walk in darkness. and We are still given eyes to see, and light is furnished here, but it's not the same light. It's quite different. Light of the higher kind comes with explanations, comes with enlightenment, lightning thoughts and it's important to differentiate what it is that's meant by light and what is meant by the light of the eye is single and when thy eye is single thy whole body shall be filled with light Well, how can a body be filled with light? What does that mean? Light has this ability to become known within each cell of your body as whatever that cell needs. Sustenance comes to them as light. So having your whole body filled with light A a similar kind of thing um, that I'm trying to explain and think about is that there are descriptions of the, uh, when in these inner experiences where you can see with your ears and hear with your eyes, you can do all the senses can come through one of your senses, all the feelings and the notion. And so light seems to be the primary or the highest form of sensation from which everything else comes. Now, 
the um, of course the world is created from the sound of Om. And the light in the chit, uh, the chit side of the drawings that I've done and Sri Yukteswar has done better of the idea that the uh, chit is like light and uh, the sound is what creates the world, the Ananda side. So if you remember the duality first formed that Sri Yukteswar talks about is chit Ananda. And um, Ananda is is the um, source of the Om, and then from that, maybe not chronologically, but uh, graphically anyway, a way of thinking of it, space and time, and then the atom. And the atom is the particularity of the individual too. Yet it translates as avidya, which is ignorance. So it's the it's the uh, self that is wrapped in a veil of ignorance about the truth, about our source, about everything. It's what Master said was, when you leave the body, it's like taking a, a large overcoat off in a, on a hot sunny day. So, coming into this realm, God creates a veil that protects us. It uh, makes us able to join in this play. It gives us a position, a reference point, the ego, the center upon which, around which we form a notion of self. We're always taught how we uh, need to go to the universal self. And that's because we are trying to go back. We've been here long enough but it's so clear that God wants this world he wants this place to be I'm very um, you know I'm very kind of um, happy with the idea when I read from Mayor Baba that this um, this world was created but for one thing and that is for man. And that is for the evolution, the creation, the opportunity that man has here. Now that's an astonishing thing. Because we have this idea that this is just a random bunch of molecules spinning around with no purpose in this modern day. Uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, no one would think that. That's all. That's all crazy talk. But we have to accept the scientific um, teachings around this notion that there is, seems to be no purpose, 
and that uh, there are laws of gravity and laws of physics that that were set in place and set in motion, and that we have to we have to live according to these. So we accept the modern idea, but we give up a lot. But we then gain the a little view, a little purchase on the notions, the higher notions of universality. That's what science can bring for us, instead of always turning and refusing to accept the past. The traditional teachings, the biblical teachings, the whatever uh, world you live in, whatever country, whatever culture, whatever religion you're raised in, all these things are thrown away because they have an explanation and we now have a different explanation. We know this one's right. But the thing is, the other explanations were correct as a way of teaching us. And by adding on each higher teaching of one part of it, and believe me, the, the science is very limited and is just able to help with with some, they're critical parts, but they are just some parts of this, excuse me, of this world, of this life here. So what it gives us is the opportunity to become more universal, to have respect for the intelligence of people in, in um, other ages. That people would spend time on the inner path then. You know, we, we see history through so many wars and strife, etc. But in reality, humans have been, high human endeavors have been around for a long time, and how high human uh, attainment in the realm of the spirit has been around for a long time. A lot of times it can't be talked about. People don't write these things. They experience them. But they know something greater than can be taught from without. They know what they have learned themselves. I always love the stories about Lincoln that, you know, he really, he had a homegrown, he had a self-taught idea of God. He had the Bible and he knew the culture that he was raised in. But he didn't go to church. He wasn't a church-going person. He lived on the periphery of the of the European uh, penetration into the American uh, wilderness. His father, for instance, uh, he was living in Kentucky when he was born, and that got to be too populated, and so they moved to Indiana on the periphery, moving further west. And they weren't there very long before that got too crowded, people coming in, settlers, all that kind of thing. And his father was disgusted and said this, and, and moved once and, and to Illinois, ended up in Springfield, Illinois. That's where, that's where Lincoln had his law practice, etc. His down-home way of thinking, evidently he was very, very funny. Person, uh, storyteller, natural lawyer, high-paid lawyer too, as David used to talk about. But... Um, these people, these great souls exist all around us. They don't tell us what they're going through. 
They don't tell us the experiences they've had, and maybe they don't have a place to put them. One thing that Yogananda, our beloved Param Guru, gave us was an explanation, another level of seeing, reincarnation, more universal notion that can include the teachings of the East with the teachings of the West, knowing that there's only one God, only one religion, really. It's the religion of man. It's the religion that deals with why we are here, what we are doing, how we comport ourselves, how we handle all the different things that come up in this world. Another thing that um, affects universality is is travel, being you know the uh, taking down the bound the, the the barriers of distance and time. So much that we've done. <laughs> You'll be living with other cultures, learning about other cultures, and seeing high civilizations. So it can't be just put it, well, the people who have a high civilization, that's the fruit of a great religion. If you narrowly think of that as a single religion that we we happen to have in our culture, because we know that uh, Buddhists and Hindus, the Muslim world was huge, had, had their golden ages, tremendous uh, expansion. Each time thinking that they're the greatest. So I've puzzled over this light a great deal and how it manifests in the world and guides and controls everything here. And I think I told you all that uh, Swami Sassanananda told us, told me that when we went down to the local Ram temple that we had to take our shirts off. We, I've explained all that. And I know I've talked about both of these things before, uh, both sides. One being that which receives the energy from the from spiritual sources and that which projects from the body and where. And for men, they receive through the heart and they uh, emit through the third eye. And for the women, it's the opposite. They receive for, through the third eye and emit through the heart center. Since I've been thinking about that and I've mentioned it several times, I'd like to know what you all think. Any other ex any experiences of this? Does it resonate? Well, I just had a question about it. So when you say women receive through the third eye and emit right. through the heart, but does that mean that it comes in through the medulla, though? True. This is yeah, good point. But this is um, this is this is light coming from others. This is interaction with the world. You're oh, right. Okay. You're right. Wait, I missed that part. Well, no, that's not, you're right to ask that question because I didn't didn't talk about it that way. The what sustains yourself, your body, is coming from the medulla for sure. Of course. Okay. 
Okay. But, you know, the puzzling part is, is how people experience light with great spiritual advancement, with great spiritual experiences. And those things are seen outside yourself. They're seen, you open your eyes and you can see it. But what happens with it is the the eyes themselves are taking a picture and they know physically, they see, apprehend that which is without. They see it. They got an image of it. But what dominates is the th- coming from the, the third eye. So that, that um, projecting power from the third eye, there is another aspect, and that's which we see, how we see. And in that um, sense, the eyes actually dim. And though there is knowledge through the eyes, the physical eyes, these thieves that Mother called the thieves on the cross, the eyes steal so much of the energy. We get so wrapped up in what they bring us. But in these high experiences where we're interacting with others and we're interacting with this world, and we see this great spiritual um, source, the great spiritual thread of light that's coming from someone else, can come from temples, come from statues, can come from places that we, we we revere. It's all coming from ourselves in reality. But the eyes dim down, and the the other uh, the light of a different kind dominates. So. I'm sorry, I've talked in two different ways. All people can see with their third eye. But the energy that comes from, now, with the way that Swamiji explained it to me, the energy that comes from the idol comes to the man through the heart center and through the, to the woman through the center. And then, then there's also the experience of light that we have with our third eye as an organ of, of light. And so I guess it's important that we see these two uh, aspects of the body in a, in a, in a correct, in correct order and correct usage. One thing that's coming to me, Larry, and I don't know if it seems like this is connected, but David would talk about if you're having difficulty functioning in the world because of spiritual experiences to move. Did we lose you? Jill? We lost you, Jill.
So, Larry, I'm just wondering if after Swamiji told you that when he explained that you had to take your shirt off right. so that the energy from the idol could come, the spiritual energy could come to you through the through the chest, the heart center, I'm assuming. Right. Um, did you did you feel that any differently after knowing that? Did you have a sense of it? Coming that way? Not really, no. Not that day, anyway. But I think I told you about being at Dakshineswar um, a year or two later. And having that experience was where it was locked in my mind. That um, as I passed in front of the idol, the Kali idol at the Kali temple there, it was like being pierced with a uh, a knife or a blade, you know, or some very, it's like, and it had an element of being hit. It was such a, a very sharp, in, intense p- poke that it was undeniable. I mean, it was, and it was right as I got directly in front of it. And I, I was walking and I continued, I turned and then I continued walking and that, and that experience happened. So it was then that I wasn't expecting that. I, because of what Swamiji said, but Swamiji, having said that, explained he, he explained that experience I had. It just kind of blew my mind. Do you know a properly a properly functioning temple? We have a book uh, that we got from the ashram years ago. We probably should republish it or try to have more public uh, publications made of it. It's called um, the Temple Culture, and there was a modern man, I think, in the 50s or 60s wrote this book talk trying to explain to the next generation the modern generation how a temple worked and how it uh, if it was properly uh, run by priests who knew what they were doing <clears throat> there's almost a, the way he explains it it's almost a mechanical aspect are these good maintenance people who run this ship of the culture you know the, this temple is a it's a machine it's not exactly that way but that's the way I kind of saw this. I mean, it talks about pouring out the uh, energy through the town. The temple, properly functioning, has certain times that it's open. It does certain rites. And the city, the town that is adjacent to that, uh, is benefited because the current coming from the idol, coming from the temple, goes through all through the town. Just It just shocked me. We think of the temples in the Western sense, churches, cathedrals, and we know that there's something special about them. But as usual, the Indians have thought about this in, and experimented more with this. One thing that happened in the Kali Yuga, Jesus, I think, and Buddha just told us things that will get us through and, and things that we can understand and practice not getting too much into the higher teachings that come from other yugas, that people aren't ready for it, they don't understand it, but but they do need to have a teaching about God. And so the teachings of of that era reflect that. So much of the Indian culture, they're tied in with the other yugas. They They have memory, books, and traditions that connect them to previous yugas. And so these experimentations uh, can ha- be, be had. You can 
you can actually find out these things are true. So, not saying I've done that, but it was given to me, you know, in the way that it was by God as an experience. So you can think I was preconditioned for it, perhaps, but as I say, it was looking back on it that I uh, that I realized he was right because I was dealing with the experience, thinking, what in the world? That was so powerful. So powerful and so obvious, coming directly from the Kali statue. Now, is this what's going on with the golden calf? Is that what people were trying to evoke? Were the Egyptians masters in some of this stuff? Boy, it gets to be a complicated story when you have one religion teaching you that that's the devil worship practically and the other is, and the other one saying this is the, one of the ways that this can heal and run a proper society. We do have a clear notion, don't we, with churches and cathedrals, that if they're run by good and decent people, that something great happens. People walk out uplifted. They've, the Catholics anyway, have put it all into a host. And the, the difference between them and the Protestants is the Protestants go through the ritual of it, but they don't see it as being, the word is transubstantiation, you know, that within the host itself is the body of Christ, is Christ himself. And he should be, that wafer of bread should be revered as though Christ. Now we all know that it is the idea that you are imbibing the high teachings, the presence of God that already exists in us. But there's more to it, isn't there, I think. So much is hidden in the Christian world. This is why Master came to the West, to teach the original Christianity. That's quite a statement, you know. It's, a, it's quite a, a thing to say to the Western people. But he was right. He is right. There's much more here. So much has been lost. You know, the much of the modern world was caused by this. Of course, it's coming out of the, the Kali Yuga that Martin Luther, you know, railed against the excesses of the priesthood and the bishops and the Pope. Of course, he was right. Absolutely right. But do you throw the baby out when you do this? When you say you're wrong on this item, that means you're wrong on everything you tell me. Now, of course, they accept Jesus. They didn't give that up. But some of the higher teachings might have gotten lost. These are mysteries. But it teaches us respect for tradition, for that which can be taught to us from other times and other generations. You have to give the full expression, Larry, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
mean, you just said throw the baby out. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we get. I don't know if everybody knows that. My mother used that all the time. Everyone knows it, but you're right that to be complete, I shouldn't leave things hanging. I remember Al used to say, "Throw the baby and the bathwater out." No, I just thought that too, Kate. He said the Protestants threw the baby. Let's see. Oh, the the Protestants threw the baby out and kept the (laughs) bathwater. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Who said that? Al, Al Cohn. Oh. Yeah. That's right. Kept the bathwater. Sorry. Uh, with the bathwater, of course, is the expression. It's right. the uh, kept the bathwater. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but you're uh, you're right, Michelle. I we tend to use short forms of things that are well known amongst people, but I <laughs> didn't complete the thought there. There, there's a book uh, that describes what happens during the Catholic Mass, oh, very observing, good. observing what occurs on the astral and causal planes. Very good. Very, that's not, that's the way to think of it. I see. Like, do you know the what the what the teaching is? Well, the, it's called the Science of the Sacraments by Ledbean. Hmm. Uh, he's a world-renowned clairvoyant and. He has higher praise for some aspects of the Catholic Church than Catholics could conceive of. Plus, he troubleshoots some of the errors that mm-hmm. have crept in over the years. Yeah, very good. Very interesting. Well, he's maybe uh, actually traveled in those realms and knows he's seen it. So uh, this is what I'm just suspecting, of course. Hey, Bob, uh, who is the author on that? Uh, Charles Leadbeater. So that's a theosophical teaching. Yeah, thing. is it Leadbeater, um, Bob? Like the theosophical person? Yeah, he's a theo- theosophical. Yeah. yeah. From okay. So Larry, what you were describing could happen in any. It doesn't have to be a temple. It can be a church or a statue or any place that's charged with. I think so. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. I think so, yeah. Or it's a different nature. It has a different, each of these temples might do things differently. Yeah. And they might have different effects. But to you, to, for him to have said that the idol, that the energy comes from the idol, you know, these are things that we always kind of don't want to bring up in our conversation, even when we hear Hindus talk about it, you know. But um, we should, you know, Pradakshana is a direct translation, means to keep the idol to your right. So the reason you walk around it in clockwise fashion is because you're walking and as a in a ritual sense, and you are keeping the idol to your right. So they talk about idols. Master talks about idols. In the autobiography, he talks about how um, it wasn't his brother-in-law was so deeply affected by that one. And there have been experiences where people see the idol step down from their throne and interact. Larry, what's the significance of keeping the idol on your right? Good question. Right and left seem to be important to the ancients, you know. 
The left hand was always seen as sinistre, you know, it's sinister. Comes from that. It means left. Yeah, I, you know, let's face it. We can all feel these things in our body. We can feel people sit at your right. You know, the the person that you are honoring, you seat. If you're the Pope, you sit someone at your right, and you will sit at the right hand of God. What does that all mean? So. The two thieves must play uh, a role of that sort too. One is good and bad. Mother had those two angels on her shoulders with the giving her bad advice and good advice. Now these, you know, we can make fun of these things and we, we really should because people, in the sense that people misunderstand them, but we can um, we can see them. Uh, we can look at these things and see if there's some of these things aren't true. And God will give us as an experience if, if he wants to teach us something. It seems as though he's taking things apart from us. He's uh, pulling things uh, away from this and trying to get us uh, more universal and more... Um, You know, it's almost like a dabbling effect that we, the modern person lives with dabbling all kinds of things and not digging deep into deep research into the path that they've been they've chosen. Well, and I think it's a sign of the times. These things come in waves and they come in currents in the society. And we've come for these reasons. It's the reason we want them to be born during this time. I've been dabbling. <laughs> I've been, it's, uh, I guess it's probably close to two weeks now where I'm listening to people recall their near-death experiences. So, oh, isn't that great? Yeah, wonderful. Just describing the light, you know, mm -hmm. it's just yeah. so beautiful. All the different ways that people describe God as light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. My mom's experience when she was having my sister, her fifth child, uh, leaving the body, it was a golden light she was going towards. She didn't want anything to do with going back to the body. So, yeah, it's, and it's all light and bright and so beckoning. So, wow. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The uh, Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, but in that, it's worth watching to the end because I'll just not um, give it all away, but it's, um, and it's, there's some crude parts to it, so it's not for everybody. But it is a very, very interesting uh, of a type of uh, solving a problem, solve, gaining uh, growth through pain, in, intense unbelievable personal ego-based pain it's just interesting to watch you don't feel too sorry for him because he's such a cad but as he goes through things you can sense that you know even these everyone can be brought to their knees but what happens at the end is worth it
we're assured, aren't we? Seems like that we'll all have a entry into the astral world that'll be will be wonderful. Be able to see our grandparents and parents and who knows. I think those things happen because all of these souls we're associated with are with us now and they're watching us. That's why there's ancestor worship. But they're watching us, not in the sense of uh, voyeur, but rather they know this world. They've come from it. They know its limitations and they and they must uh, be concerned that people get the best out of it and not make, not fall back, fall out of faith. Stay with it. David was really insistent that as you come close to your leaving the body, that you should have an upward lift. You should have this expectation of something grand. Perfect health. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Larry, can I ask you a question? Mm, sure. Have a, did you experience the um, um, idols or the, um, what are they called, the, um, when there's statues of master, etc.? Do you experience them differently, having understood this from the Kali statue? Not really, no. That's a good question. Someone asked it earlier, too, I forget. But, yeah, it is not something that knowing it made me have a better uh, experience or have any experience except for the one that I was given at Dakshin's one. So, I mean, there's more appreciation. You know, I guess it comes down to I don't, I'm not drawn to that temple culture personally. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, but I, I wouldn't want a culture to give up on on this just because of ignorance. And they're claiming in the modern sense that we know so much more now. And these are, you know, these are superstitions and, and, and low, um, low IQ kind of ideas that are, we've been duped in the previous generations. I really think that's wrong and that the... If you are driven to support your culture and to support that which is good in your culture, and could it be better? And also, could these these things be from higher yugas? A properly functioning temple might be something that we shouldn't expect in the Kali Yuga. So we could have all the benefits that we can do, and we can do all the practices, and we can learn. And, but will we be able to pull it to pull it into shape to actually make it function that way? What does it take? Does it take a very highly enlightened priest who, you know, the highly enlightened people who live now, they don't really want to run a, a temple. They don't. You don't see them doing it. Now, um, uh, Ramana Maharshi had a temple built when his mother passed and of the old style. And his his temple, his, his uh, <clears throat> samadhi where he was buried, is a very modern, beautiful, out, open thing. He is, one he built for his mother by his own design was like an ancient temple stepping back into it thousands of years ago. And so he had a respect for that, obviously, in many of the, the great places, you know, look at Nanashram too. They, they have rituals there that, that they gain benefits from. 
Yeah, we live in such a different time. And then also we are, we are being taught by a different kettle, a different uh, class, a different type of teachers. Do we do things together or do we do things by ourselves? Do we go become a hermit and withdraw from the world and not interact with the world? Or do we, if we come out into the world, do we not create a world that's good for all, not just for ourselves? And which one, if we do this latter, which one is higher? Of course, always we follow God's will. So that answers that question, really. So we have no reason to complain or criticize people who have chosen one or the other. No reason implicit in that uh, knowledge of that person's decision to do what they're doing. But we can certainly we can certainly uh, be skeptical if there's evidence uh, to the contrary of what they're saying. Uh, we shouldn't worry too much about that. People have to work through this. I'm trying to become less of a hermit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a hermit except when I'm at work. Hmm. And I'm trying to... There's times for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like during COVID. (laughs) Yeah. I was a hermit. Well, a lot of rambling around. It was perfect, Larry. You were doing production around the subjects, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) They've been on my mind a lot lately. And I don't know why. So it seems to help to talk about it. You know, we're all interacting with each other inwardly. All the time, throughout the day. So... I really appreciated hearing that, the difference between how men and women experience. Right. I think that uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, actually. That's good to hear. Thank you. But I wonder, too, if we haven't, if we were to think and look back on our lives, if we haven't experienced these things. By being aware of them now, it might be a way of interpreting hmm. Different things what like you're that. saying, Larry, seems feels to me intuitively correct. I sort of agree with Catherine on this. It, it uh, in my own experience, that seems like the way it's worked. Hmm. I would say so as well. It, uh, I just assume that everybody had that reception through the Ajna. I didn't realize that men were perhaps receiving it through the heart center. Yeah, that's that's a great point because we really do uh, we really do see the third eye as a being like an eye that we can perceive in a sixth sense notion of how the world is working. But that's all out in the world. It's how we interact with the world. It has a psychic aspect to it. So but it's confusing when you get around spiritual subjects and you talk about the body, interacting with the body. Mother teaches us it comes in, Master teaches us it comes in the medulla. 
the energy that sustains the body and furnishes the light by which these two eyes see, Mother says. So that's all the working of the body itself. One of the things that we're doing here is we're learning about this world that God has created to discover himself. And that's a different interaction than the normal energy coming into the body, making the body function. The body's functioning in order to have experiences in this world. Seems like that's the only explanation that makes sense. That's what God intended all around. He wants this. He knows that we want it. He gave us that desire. And the interaction in the world is psychic, which is more on the mundane level, and spiritual communion, intuition of other people, not intuition of what's going on inside yourself and how what your future is going to be and all of that. All of that has to do with interacting in this world. So there is keeping the body alive, and the body has a function, has a purpose for the soul. But you're also saying that the psychic piece about intuition is also of the body. Is that what I understood you to say? It's of, of keeping the body. There's a certain um, energetic exchange that's to understand how we can interact and understand each other. It's also on that level. And then there's another level that is... is that yeah, I, I see the psychic as being associated with this physical world and having to do with our nervous system. But the nervous system is also in the astral world. And so we can jump outside the physical world to know things. And there is psychic aspect. There's, as usual with the, with the mind, there's two levels. There's the, there's the level of functioning, information coming in, data. And then there's the level, the spiritual level, the higher mind, the moody, uh, interacting with discrimination of the world and ap apprehension of the world. So intuition is not psychic necessarily. The psychic realm has to do with, well, it truly is another sense of the body. It's placed in the body, the ability to, to interact with the actual thoughts and things of people that people are having in the physical realm. Mother said there's several layers of, there's a layer right above us called the universal ash uh, that all things in this realm end up in as they are created in this realm. They end up in the universal ash. It's also, there, there's the Akashic records it's associated with that. Knowledge of all things past. And so we can access these things. And these it's all spiritual in some sense anyway. There's nothing but spiritual. Energy, spiritual things. The physical body is a spiritual creation. But there are levels. And intuition is always seen as the higher one. Now, this is still in the um, in man's position, not the divine. When John the Baptist represent, is, uh, represents the intuition, and when you are going, as you gain in capability and you gain in spiritual understanding and spiritual evolution, John the Baptist is born and your intuition is that which is presages the Christ. 
But when the Christ comes, actually takes over the body, takes over the person, and is uh, in the world, so to speak, and that, those passages I read, he's in the world, he's talking about it. Well, in the Bible, they have John the Baptist being having his head chopped off. And Mother says that you lose your intuition for the higher light, for the higher realm. So there's psychic, there's intuition, and there is God perception. These are all the same thing, ultimately, but they come to us and they manifest uh, in us and for us at different times and different weight, uh, different states that you can be in. But Mother uh, says that you go through a disconnect when this intuition dies, when it's killed, head is chopped off. And it can be abrupt. And you will literally, you know, lose that connection with your, with your intuition. And you then have to turn to the sun. The, the, the sun, S-U-N. The, Christ is the sun of the body. The third eye point, all those things. And the, it's funny to think of the solar plexus, the word solar, is the moon in Mother's teachings. And in, you know, by the way, Mother's, most of these things, are, she's well versed and in an agreement a lot of the unity and theosophical society stuff. But she's trying to show us how the Bible tells a similar story with the tools, with the, <clears throat> the characters that are there too. But then we need to learn to turn to the Christ once this occurs. Usually you've, you go through such an incredible pain through the heart center that you're in a new world anyway. But what you realize is you've lost something in your normal everyday life. And you can seem disconnected and befuddled with how to run things in this life. But you hold on to the pulsar. You hold on to God. You hold on to the Christ that was has come th through the fourth center, through the Christ center, through the heart center, excuse me, in the first crucifixion. And you enter a new plane. And then you have, then you have varying levels of understanding God's direct thoughts. Meher Baba explains that after you go through the four center, you have 50% of the times you are clued into God and you can be wrong at 50% of the time. And that when you go through the fifth center, you are then ready to be a guru. Only, he said, you should never be a guru until you're through the fifth center. At that time, there are still a veil. And there you have 75% of the time. He always gets into these numbers, but he's trying to point, he's trying to teach this. So he says 75% of the uh, time, when you get through the fifth center, you apprehend God accurately enough that you can be safe uh, in, and feel confident um, of the person giving advice or the person teaching the guru that they are that they are right in giving, especially giving specific advice uh, and, and or predicting things, those kinds of things. And then once you go through the sixth center, then you have a then you have, as Mother always called it, a direct pipeline to God. No need for anything, any intercessory uh, aspect.
Angeles. It's making me want to go to Anandasha. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. I was trying to go back in my memory and see, uh, like, when we went to Guru Vanam, mm. I, I got, I was very uplifted and I was trying to remember, okay, was that coming in through my third eye <laughs> or, mm. but it's, I think I think it was. It's just a feeling of being very uplifted, and I think it comes from that. It's a good thing to experiment with, isn't it? It's a good thing to think about, for sure. I mean, I have I bet that there are many times that this actually comes to you in those forms. You receive it from other people. This exchange of energy. It's like lightning, too. When so many people, like the majority of people in the West, have no experience of this. Or, or they do and they don't know. They can't sort it all out. They can't filter out that which is... Fits, they have no pattern uh, or no, you know, paradigm, paradigm or theoretical background or intellectual understanding. Yeah. This is why the intellect has a role. It's very powerful because it can help bridge gaps. It is often, you know, thought that it can do everything. And so people hang too much on it. But it is a tremendous tool. As far as teaching, it's nothing. Nothing can beat it. Today, um, a lady passed, um, and um, I went into the room after that. But you know, before they had come to uh, take her, mm -hmm. and um, it's just. Such a beautiful feeling. Oh, interesting. And she was, even for the last several days, she just so peaceful hmm. and such an expanded feeling in that room. Nice way to go. Yeah. She's very, she's a devout Christian. Hmm. Well, it can give so much peace having a religious understanding because you look beyond the physical it forces you to and have the expectation that you're going to meet the Lord. It's a wonderful, wonderful practice. As you state it, as you describe it, it makes perfect sense. No reason she wouldn't be peaceful if she really really understood the high teachings there. Not get caught up in this world too much. Well, it's getting late. Let's say our closing prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, Heavenly, oh, Heavenly Father. Father. Divine Mother. Divine, Divine Mother. I feel the wonder and the beauty 
I feel the wonder and the beauty of thy glorious presence. Of thy glorious presence in every part of my being. In every part of my being. My heart is bursting with my love for thee. My heart is bursting with my love for thee. I kneel in adoration at thy feet. I kneel in adoration at thy feet. And surrender myself to thee. And surrender myself to thee. I feel the power of thy perfection. I feel the power feel of my power perfection surging in every cell of my body. Surging, surging in every cell, every of, my cell body. of my body. My mind and my intelligence. My mind, my mind and my intelligence are radiant with thy healing light. Are radiant, radiant with thy healing light. light. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss of my communion with thee. Of my of communion my with, thee. with thee. I and my father are one. I and my, and my Father are one. Blessed Spirit, I am He. Blessed, Blessed Spirit, I am, I am He. on the way out here.